Today we continue the series that we began actually the week after Easter. So we've been in the series for a while and we're going to continue to be in the series for another while. In fact, we're going to be probably uh, through um, January, at, at least up until Father's Day, maybe even uh, a little bit past that. We've taken a couple of weeks off, like last week we took it off for Mother's Day from the series. Uh, but uh, we're basically going through the book of First Kings. And uh, we started with First Kings, now we're in the second book of Kings. And the name of the series is Once Upon a Time, Ancient Stories, Ageless Truths. And so we're looking at some stories that are, that are ancient. I mean, these, these are things that are, that are true. They're true stories. They happened a long time ago, uh, some of them as far back as 3,000 years ago. As we progress through, through the book, through these two books, which initially, by the way, First and Second Kings initially was just one book, and then was divided into two Possibly because of its length. But as we go through, through these books, uh, we're you know, maybe, maybe 2,400 years ago now. But they're ancient stories, but uh, they're true stories. And more importantly, as I said, um, the truths that they have to teach us are relevant for us today. A modern society like us today, and yet these truths from you know, two to 3,000 years ago... You know, we just bring them in and they, they're for us today. This is God's word for us today. So today I want to talk to you about preparing for God's blessing. Preparing for God's blessing. As we go through this story, we, uh, these stories, we're looking at a, a time in the history of Israel, the nation of Israel. As uh, we've said before, initially the nation of Israel was one, one nation. It was just Israel, but after Solomon... Uh, the first king was Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom was divided into two. There was a northern kingdom, which was made up of ten of the twelve tribes, and the southern kingdom was made up of two of the twelve tribes. And the northern kingdom went by the name of Israel. It retained the name of Israel. The southern kingdom went by the name of Judah. So the story that we're going to look at today was at a time that Israel was in a very, the, the northern kingdom was in a very precarious uh, situation. They were in a transition of leadership. Ahab, uh, a few weeks ago we talked about King Ahab. Ahab had been a very uh, wicked king. He'd been a terrible king. And, uh, but he died, and so his son Ahaziah took over. Ahaziah, if you recall, uh, wasn't in, really any better. Uh, in fact, he's the one who died falling out of uh, a window or falling from the roof. He fell through a lattice. And he injured himself and he died. He died without having a son. There was no son to ascend to the throne. So his brother Joram actually took over. So it was at, uh, during this time of transition. Uh, it was Ahab. He died. Ahaziah didn't live that long. He, he died. And, uh, and now uh, Joram. And it was during this time of transition that one of the nations that Israel had defeated several years earlier... Israel had defeated this nation of Moab. Well, Moab decided that they didn't want to be defeated, didn't want to pay what they were having to do. They had to pay a tribute to Israel because Israel had defeated them. They didn't want to pay this tribute anymore. And so, you know, it's a story as old as time. One nation decides to rebel against another one. They owe them something they don't want to pay. Uh, nowadays, it's, you know, it might be gold, might be money. Back then, it was sheep. It was the, the wool of rams. Because every year, the nation of Moab would pay a tax of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams 
to Israel. Year after year, they would pay this tribute, pay this tax. But after Ahab died, they decided, we're not going to do this anymore. And especially after Ahaziah died, after such a short reign, they decided, we're not going to do this. Well, Ahaziah's uh, brother, as I said, took over Joram. And Joram decided he wasn't going to put up with this. He wasn't going to let this nation... I mean, it was an act of rebellion. It was an act of revolt against Israel. And he wasn't going to allow it. So he decided he was going to go to war against Moab. Because they refused to pay the tribute that they owed. So this is Joram, the king of Israel. And he sent a message to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And he said to him, I'm going to go fight against, against uh, Moab. Told him the, the whole background. And he recruited him to go with him. And uh, Jehoshaphat said, sure, I'll go with you. We're brothers. We're as one. I'll go with you. So then uh, he asked, Joram asked Jehoshaphat, how should we attack? And Jehoshaphat said, well, let's attack him from the south because he won't be expecting us from the south. He'll be expecting us from the north. We'll, we'll use the element of surprise. We'll go from the south. But that meant they had to kind of go through a roundabout way and they had to go through the country of, of Edom. So as they went through the country of Edom, it was actually a desert. They decided to talk to the king of Edom. They told him, we're going to attack Moab. You want to join us? He said, yeah, sure, you know. What's another, you know, another war? So now there are three kings. There's the king of Israel, king of Judah, and the king of Edom. Because they were going through Edom, the desert of Edom. And they're all going to fight against the king of Moab. Three against one. So that's what's going on. But because they took this meandering route, this roundabout way to get there, and they went through the desert of Edom, it was a, it was a longer route. And they traveled for seven days. And so three kings with three armies. So this is large, large contingent of soldiers. And they realized after seven days they had a problem. It was a very serious problem. And the problem was that they ran out of water. And they were in the desert. No place to find water in the desert. And so this is serious. And they said, what are we going to do? So we're going to pick up the story here in 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. Verse 10 reads like this, What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? Then let me interrupt myself and just say, the king of Israel, Joram. By the way, some of your Bibles may say Jehoram. It's the same person. Uh, some translations will use Joram, others Jehoram. But the king of Israel, Joram, wasn't a good king either. Like his father Ahaziah, his grandfather Ahab, they weren't good kings, they... They followed the Baals, followed the false gods. But here he's, he's starting to blame God. Like he called us to, del- he called us to fight against Moab. And now he's just going to let us die at the hands of Moab. Jehoshaphat, the king of, of Judah, was a good king. So verse 11. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. All that means is that Elisha was his servant. Uh, that, that was just a phrase they would use. He used to pour water. That means he was a servant of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. In other words, he's saying, Oh yeah, I know Elisha. He, he's a real prophet. He's a true prophet. God speaks to him. And so this is a good person to, to consult. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. 
Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Now here he's talking about his father Ahaziah, but also I think his grandfather Ahab, and certainly Jezebel, the grandmother, was a wicked woman. Jezebel was a wicked, a wicked woman. We're going to talk about her in a couple of weeks. But uh, she was really the one who brought the Baal worship into the country. She had her own prophets. She had her own prophets. And, and so when Elisha says, go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother, he's saying, go. so you want to serve Baal? Go to the prophets of Baal. You want to serve Asherah, all these other gods? Go to the prophets of Asherah and, and get help from them. Why are you coming to me now? And the king of Israel says, no, because it was the Lord who called those three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. See how the king of Israel, Joram, is trying to blame God. He says, God brought us here. He wants to kill us. Well, it wasn't God who told him to, to do this. So at verse 14, Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. So he's saying, okay, I'll, uh, I'll call on God on your behalf. I'll seek God on your behalf. But only because of Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, who was a noble man. Not because of you, because you're a wicked man. So because of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I'll do this. Now look at verse 15. Verse 15 is very interesting. He says, but now bring me a harpist. What? But now bring me a harpist. What an interesting command. Why is he asking for a harpist? Why was that necessary? Now what happened is that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Elisha and he began to prophesy and began to tell them a word from the Lord. But why the harpist? I mean, is Elisha that shallow that he needs some background music to set the ambiance so he can feel the presence of God, so he can prophesy? What is going on here? Well, certainly not. No, Elisha could prophesy without any kind of background music or any, any kind of ambiance change. But I believe God is teaching us a lesson here. Now certainly... He was in the midst of unbelieving people. He's in the midst of the king of Edom. He's in the midst of the, you know, the king of Israel, and, and who was, like I said, was a wicked man. And certainly there were other unbelievers. And maybe he's trying to, to, to shut the unbelief off. And, um, you know, we don't really know. But I think there's, a, there's an underlying lesson here for us, and that's this. You know, they were, they were seeking God's blessing. They needed a miracle. And I think the way to prepare for God's blessing is to praise God for it. The way you prepare for God's blessing is you praise God for the blessing before it even arrives. You want a miracle from God? Praise God for the miracle before the miracle arrives. Because no doubt, the harpist was playing... JJ, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some water. If you can find me some water over here, please. I can tell I'm going to need some real quick here. Uh, so no doubt... The harpist was playing and, and perhaps the harpist was singing praises to God. Thank you, sir. He was brought in, the harpist was brought in to worship God. He wasn't brought in to, to play the latest country hit. He wasn't brought in to, to go through the top 40. He was brought in for one purpose and that was to worship God. He was there to worship God. This is what Elisha wanted as he prepared to hear from God. Excuse me, please.
This is exactly what Elisha wanted as, as he prepared to hear from God. He wanted worship to the God that he was praying to. Now this makes me think of another story, a different story that involves King Jehoshaphat, one of the three kings that we're talking about here, the king of Judah, when at one time he was facing a crisis of his own. And we read the story in Second Chronicles 20. He was facing a crisis of his own. This is later uh, in, in, in the history. Three other kings, there were three kings and their armies that were coming against Jehoshaphat. In fact, one of those kings was the king of Moab, the one that was being attacked in this story. Got together with two other kings and came against Jehoshaphat later. And they were coming against him. And, and what's interesting about this story is that when Jehoshaphat got the news that there were three kings ganging up on him, they were coming to attack him, his reaction was very interesting because at this time what we learn uh, that before all this, before this, this attack happened on Jehoshaphat, when Jehoshaphat became king of Judah, he spent a number of years building up the defense of the country. He built up the army. He built up the resources. They, they trained the, the fighting men. They, they had the, the right weapons. They had the right training. Not twaining. The right training. They had, this is what I try to, you get when you try to say training and weapons at the same time. They had the right training. They had the right men. So they were prepared. In fact, the Bible says that the, the nations around Judah became fearful of Judah because they realized how strong, though they were a small country, how strong they were becoming. And so it was a strong nation ready for anybody to attack them. And so when he gets the news that they're coming, instead of saying, okay, boys, this is what we trained for. We're ready. We're going to go out there and meet them. We're going to defeat them. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. He didn't do that. The Bible says that he went into the temple and he began to pray. And then he spoke before his people, before the nation. He, he prayed to God. And he said to God, Lord, these, these armies are coming against us. They're seeking to destroy, this, destroy us. Then he said something very interesting. He said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And when I read that, I think, well, wait a minute, Jehoshaphat. You've been training for this. What do you mean we don't know what to do? And besides, you're the king. What king, what president, what leader would stand before his nation and say, Folks, I don't know what to do. We're facing a crisis here in the U.S. And I really don't know what to do. So we're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to look to God. But yet that's exactly what he did. No leader in, in uh, today's world, no leader of any nation would ever admit he doesn't know what to do. They always know what to do, right? They always know. But he says in front of his people, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. What a, 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 what a great reaction, what a great response uh, to that, that he sought God for direction. And so God spoke to him and God gave him the promise that they were going to win this battle. And God gave him the strategy. And here's the strategy. The next day they got up to do battle. When they got up to do battle, the Bible says that all the fighting men were ready. But what Jehoshaphat the king did is he put the singing men, not the fighting men, he put the singing men at the very front, ahead of the fighting men. 
They were going to lead the way. Now, these guys weren't there to fight. They were there to worship God. They were there to praise God. And so they began to sing praises. The Bible says they were singing, Give thanks to God for His love endures forever. That was their song. Give, give thanks to God for His love endures forever. And as they started to go out, these men were worshiping God, were singing to God. And as they lifted up the name of God, as they worshiped God, the Bible says that something very interesting happened. That God confused the, the armies of the three nations that were attacking. They became, they became confused. They began to attack each other. They killed each other. By the time the, the army of Judah got to where they were, they were all dead. They just stepped in and started plundering, taking the silver, the gold, the expensive garments for themselves. God allowed them to do this. God fought their battle because they started off by praising God, by worshiping God. The people of Judah did not have to lift a finger to win the battle, but they did lift their voices in praise to God. They didn't have to lift a finger to fight against the ones that wanted to destroy them, but they did lift their voices and their hands in worship to God. Because when we worship God, God's power is unleashed against our enemy, the devil. God confuses him and causes him to retreat from our lives so that we can then receive God's blessing. So you need a miracle from God today. You need a blessing from God today. Begin by praising God in advance for that miracle, for that blessing. Learn to worship God. Learn to worship God. Do it every time we come together. Worship Him. You know, perhaps some of you look at our praise and worship time as a sing-along. Folks, it's not a sing-along. We're not just singing along with the lyrics. This is not karaoke. This is not sing-along. We're not singing along with our praise man. We're worshiping God and we're calling down the power of God in our lives to fight against the enemy of our souls. It's time to recognize God for who He is. And it's time to worship Him and to war against the power of the enemy. So whether it's here, when we meet together, whether it's home, learn to be a worshiper. And when you feel the anxiety coming up, begin to praise God. Begin to call on the Lord. I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to go to the church when I'm by myself. And if you could hear me sometimes, if you, if you would walk in, all the doors are locked, but if you were to walk in when I'm praying, you, you might hear me crying out to God, sometimes at the top of my lungs, just praising God, just worshiping Him, because that is so freeing. The power of God in our lives starts when we begin to worship Him. So when you need a miracle, begin by praising God. Prepare for God's blessing by praising God for it. So verse 15 says that he, he asked for a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, as we get back to our text here. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. 
You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. In other words, this was going to be a complete victory over Moab. So what's the lesson for us today? We said prepare for God's blessing by praising God for it. But I think what we learn here is that we prepare for God's blessing by making room for it. Make room for God's blessing. You know, there are varying translations and varying varying interpretations of this passage. There are some translations that tell us in verse 16 that God said, Make this valley full of ditches. If you're using, for example, the New New King James or, or the authorized version or some other versions, you'll read that. Make this valley full of ditches. In other words, God was telling them, prepare to receive God's blessing by making room for it. You want water? I'll give you water. Dig the ditches and I'll fill the ditches with water. Prepare for the blessing. We prepare for God's blessing by making room for it, by creating a space for it. We, we expect to receive God's blessing, so we prepare for it by faith. Now, these men were soldiers. They weren't dig, uh, ditch diggers. But because they needed the miracle of water and because they believed God, they started digging. And when they did, God sent the water they needed. So you, you expect a blessing from God, then prepare for it. Make room for it in your life. In the very next chapter of this book, we read the story of a, of a widow who needed a miracle. This woman was, was deeply in debt. She was deeply in debt, and the creditor was about to take her two sons as slaves to pay off the debt. So she appealed to the prophet Elisha, for help, and he asked her, "Okay, so what do you have? What do you have at home?" And he and she said, "I only have one small jar of olive oil." So Elisha told her, "Okay, I want you to go to each of your neighbors, and I want you to ask them to lend you empty jars. I want you to borrow as many empty jars from your neighbors as you can." And in fact, he told her, "Don't just ask for a few. So get a lot." So they went, and she and the boys, and they, they, they borrowed as many empty jars as possible. And when they had their jars, Elisha told them to go inside and said to her, I want you to begin to pour the oil from that one small jar that you have remaining in, in your house. Begin to pour the oil into all the empty jars. Pour it into one jar. When it fills up, set it aside. Get another one. Fill that one up. Set it aside. Get another one. And so she did that. She began to pour the oil. And the small oil, that the small jar of oil, was enough to fill up all, all the jars of oil that she had borrowed. And when she filled up the last jar, then the oil stopped flowing. And the widow was able to sell the oil to pay off her debt. And then she had plenty to live on afterward for her and her sons. She prepared for God's blessing by making room for God's blessing. How do you do that? How do you make room for God's blessing? We do it by obeying God's word. Through obedience. God may not be telling you to dig ditches, but he may be telling you, hey, 
You need to put me first in your, in your life. You need to, to make a decision once and for all that you're going to f- uh, follow and serve only me. He may not be telling you to dig ditches, but he may be telling you to trust him with your finances. He may be telling you to trust him with your life, to, to follow his path for your life. And, and instead of trying to fix things by yourself, let him fix the things that you need fixed in your life. Instead of you trying to to patch all the holes in your life and go about it the wrong way, let Him fill the holes. Let Him fill the gaps that you feel you have in your life. Trust Him. Make room for God and His blessings will follow. Make room for God through obedience and He will fill the ditches with water and the jars with oil. God wants to do that, but you've got to trust Him. You've got to believe Him. What if the kings had said, we're not going to dig ditches. That's not what we do. We're trained to fight. We're fighting men. What if the widow had said, I don't want to go ask for, uh, and for my neighbors to lend me uh, their empty jars. Or what if she had said, I can't pour oil into all of them. It's just one jar. I'm not even going to try. That's, that's silly. That's dumb. But she believed God and she trusted God. And she received her miracle. You know, the, the reason that sometimes we don't see God's blessings on our lives It's not because God can't do it. Did you catch what Elisha said in verse 18? This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. They were asking for water. He said, this is easy. In fact, he says, he'll do something more than what you're asking. He'll also deliver Moab into your hands. They weren't asking for that. They didn't ask for victory. They asked for water. And God says, I'll give you the water and I'll throw in a victory, a complete victory over the nation of Moab. You need water? God can do this. It's easy. You need a miracle in your life? God can do this. It's easy. And He'll, he'll do even more than what you're asking. If you trust Him, if you make room for that blessing in your life, if you make room for that miracle in your life, God will do what you ask and more if you trust Him, if you believe Him, if you'll prepare for His blessing. You know, sometimes... Preparing for God's blessing means you need to take a step of faith that might seem unusual. Digging ditches, asking neighbors for empty jars. Why do you want to borrow this? Oh, I'm going to fill them all up with the one jar that I have at home. Seems silly, but she did it. Pouring oil from one small jar to another. I mean, sometimes the things that God will ask us to do is, um, is unusual. So my question to you today is, what unusual step is God asking you to take today? My question for you today is, what unusual step is God asking you to take today? Is there something that to you seems a little bit unusual because it's not how you normally normally live your life? And, and I'm not talking about weird. I'm not talking about weird. I'm talking about just what you know God is telling you to do through His Word. Something that, that just seems hard, but it's, it's, a, it's a biblical principle. He's asking you to do this. Are you willing to take that step? Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is a day in which we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit during the festival of Pentecost as described in Acts chapter 2 in which the followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit, in which they began to speak in tongues, languages they had never learned. 
And then they, they just went out and, and turned the city upside down, the Bible says. They turned the city upside down with their teaching of Jesus and their teaching of the resurrection. And for a lot of people, the Holy Spirit is the unknown God. But God wants us to experience the same power of the Holy Spirit that came upon Elisha. When the worship began, the Holy Spirit came upon Elisha and he prophesied. And in the Old Testament, it happened only from time to time for individual occasions like we just read about. But in, under the new covenant, in the new covenant, it's available to all of us today. This Holy Spirit, the same power that came upon Elisha and that came upon the disciples of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. And for some people seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, that might be the unusual step that God is asking them to take. God may be saying, look, I want to give you a miracle, but I want to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to show you the power of the Holy Spirit. And some people say, well, I, I just don't get that. I just don't understand that whole speaking in tongues. And it, You know what? If we, if we get to the point that we'll say to God, whatever you have for me, God, I'll receive it. Whatever step you want me to take, I'll take it. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not weird. It's biblical. It's of God. Now, you and I both know there are some weird things that happen sometimes in Pentecostal churches. There are some weird things that happen when uh, people begin to take things out of context. But, uh, you know, I discovered one thing is that you, you never judge a belief by its extremes. You never judge a belief by its extremes. There's al- there always are going to be extremes. But look at the core of the teaching. It's of God. And maybe this is the unusual step that God wants you to take today. Maybe this is like the digging the ditches or, or pouring oil from one small jar to many other empty jars. So I'm telling you today, why don't we take the step of seeking God's power for our lives? Seeking the power of the Holy Spirit for our lives. Why don't we take the step of asking God, come and fill me, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I want this power for my life. Because the best way to prepare to receive God's blessing is to just turn our lives completely over to Him. Not just so that He can save us, but so He can fill us with His Holy Spirit. And I can tell you something. Praise and worship under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the most awesome thing ever. If you're going to worship God in advance for the miracle, if you're going to prepare for the blessing by praising God for it, and you do that under the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the most amazing thing ever. And so in a, in a world, in a, in a culture, in a modern society where people are willing to try all kinds of crazy things, willing to do all kinds of weird things in their lives. It's like the baptism of the Holy Spirit just seems pretty tame. When you got young people who are putting all kinds of metal through their tongues and through other parts of their bodies, when you have uh, men who say they're women and women who say they're men, and, and the latest crazy thing is this guy who, you may have read about this a while back, he uh, altered his, his look, cut off his ears, and he decided he was identifying as a dragon. Not even a person, a dragon. What is going on with this world? And so when we look, okay, well, maybe speaking in tongues is pretty tame. Maybe speaking in tongues is pretty normal. 
It's been that way all along. That God wants to give you that gift today. What a great way to prepare for God's blessing. By seeking the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Let's do that today.